to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And today we're talking about minute number 17 of Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, that is. And boy, oh boy, is this a minute packed full of it. Uh, There's a lot going on in this minute. To start, let me just, hang on, reel me back in, Mark. Reel. You haven't gone anywhere, you're still on the starting line. The minute's going to start out with Lois Lane purchasing a couple cups of coffee and uh, walking out of this uh, pretty awesome-looking coffee shop and... um, the minute's going to end with just another great shot of some beautiful roses uh, in the rain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so much going on in this minute. And I think at first glance, it's like a slow moment in the film. It, you know, I think most people might miss a lot that's going on in here. Um, we would have missed a lot of this, too, had we not looked into it, uh, you know, minute by minute and even watching the film multiple times. Uh, but I knew slow moment in the film. Hey, this movie's had slow mo all over the place, huh? <laughs> There's an easy one for yeah you was, critics out to, there. I really feel like I had to point it out because you kind of walked into that one. Yeah. Uh, no, this is uh this is another kind of uh, I want to say like music montage type things that's going on with this movie. Um, I'm sure there's a better way to explain it, but. Uh, we're reintroduced to Lois Lane here in this. We saw, we saw her at the beginning of the film with the death of Superman in the prologue. Um, and here we are in part one uh, following Lois Lane here. And it seems like this whole minute, uh, for one, we get a Zack Snyder cameo, but it feels like the entire minute is full of Zack Snyder stuff. Like It, it, it really is like a whole Zack Snyder minute that we have here because of every little detail that I found while looking through this moment. And even when I watched the film the first time, um, I would see things like the newspaper and go, that looks like it's of some importance, like more than just like, oh, they threw a newspaper on the ground, has some, you know, um, has like this ambiance in in the film. Like it must mean more, like there must be something more to it. Uh, And not only does the newspaper um have like an easter egg attached to it but just every little thing in this minute um so yeah let's get started uh pretty much the first thing that we're going to notice here uh is uh is Zack Snyder himself basically he has a little cameo here uh little director in the in the film that he's that he's directing uh much like uh, Alfred Hitchcock and all all those other great directors that get into their own films um, I believe this, like this moment with Zach at the coffee shop came about, like it surfaced up on the internet, like after the first movie, the first version had already released. And then there was like this photograph of him here. I'm not sure if he released that photo before the movie and people were looking for him then because I'd have to look at that 2017 version again and see if he's even in there at any point. Um, But this was a photograph that I had seen before and I didn't know it was actually in this movie. I guess I always thought like 
it was just a photo of him at a coffee shop. And seeing this here, I think it was the second time I had watched a movie where where I, I just saw him there and I was like, oh, that's him. That's him at the coffee shop. That's that photograph that I've seen on Vero. And, um, you know, whenever people used to uh, use the hashtag release a Snyder Cut and they would show all those photos of this movie that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a photo that I would see sometimes. So it's really cool seeing that and just being like, oh, there's that moment. I, you know, there's there's so many moments of this movie that was, um, I guess you could say, stolen from us as as a DC fan uh, asking for this version of the movie. It's cool to see those things pop back into place. and see. Yeah, I only really... Um... I only saw this after after the fact. People posting it on Twitter. The photo. So I didn't know. I would, yeah, and I wasn't really looking. You know, I'm not the type to look in the background, especially not on the first watch. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, great vest, solid vest. Uh, in in the uh, in the classic writing pose that we that we see Zack Snyder in. Um, but I gotta tell you something. Um. I was doing some some detective work about this coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the coffee shop right now? Yeah, let's do it. Fred and Ginger. Yeah, do you know who that is? Um, a quick Google search would tell me Fred Astaire and uh, somebody else. Ginger. Ginger Rogers, yeah. There you go. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Yeah. Um, is that what that's referencing to? Yes, exactly. It's a... Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, they, they were... Uh, a duo they were known for like a lot of uh, rko pictures and rko pictures is is what's known they famous for uh, king kong i know there's some other famous movies out there that they've done um but i i know you know rko pretty well because of king kong and Mm -hmm. uh that's why i'm saying it's another great Zack snyder minute that we have here because that's you know something else that only he would be like yeah let's let's do something like that for now question Go for it. This is a real coffee shop. Fred and Ginger Coffee is a real place in the UK. Oh, is it? Yeah. So I was thinking, like, do you think uh, maybe he just really liked their coffee at a point and was like, let's put them in the film? I was like, that could be cool. Then I was like, now hang on. The facade of this building does not match this uh, Google image picture, this Google Maps picture. So now I'm trying to think. Where are they filming this thing? It's close. There's buildings around it that look like it could be it. But it's not it. It's just little details. Yeah, you know what? This, this, this coffee shop, like on Google Images, it's it's uh, the windows and door are flush all together. There's no like out little nook that pops out right there. I'm um, glad you said something about that because now I just looked it up too. And yeah, because I un- I understood it as the Fred and Ginger, um, you know, celebrity duo, the dance, uh, you know, from all those black and white pictures. Um, I didn't know that this was a real coffee shop, and now I'm looking it up. on I'm on their Instagram page. This is a uh, uh, this is a coffee shop based in the UK, so it's not mm-hmm. in America, and this is their actual place. So that would explain a lot because they filmed in the UK. They filmed Justice League in the UK, and they were there for years. Um, so now it makes more sense that it's not so much a reference to Fred and Ginger. It's referenced. It's just a cameo of the coffee shop that they must have been going to a lot, or that he must have really enjoyed their aesthetic, and he framed it so that it looked like it was part of Metropolis. And then it's a, and then that coffee shop is a reference to Fred and Ginger. 
Wow. Really opened my eyes there, Nate. Clues within clues. Yeah, within cells interlinked, am I right? Uh, what's that? I don't know. But yeah, this is uh this is a real coffee shop in the UK. King's Lane. No, wait, hang and... on. I was I was serious when I was asking what's that, but that's that's Blade Runner. Yeah, that is Blade Runner. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> um Yeah, this is so cool. I really enjoy that. They even have a photograph of of their of their moment in the film. That's awesome. I really like that. That's that's some really some really Yeah, cute so it must stuff. have been like uh, you know, on on the way to the set location, it's like, let's get some coffee. I really like their coffee. Put them in the movie. Uh, you want a n- new uh, building facade? We'll get it to you. Yeah. I mean, really, they just like, you know, do like a little screen printing thing on the window words. Well, you know, I'm maybe sh- paint the thing black, but there's buildings around this place that do have, that are black. I'm sure and they were just also- like, he saw it and he was like, this is a really pretty coffee shop. I just want to use that uh, for the movie. Yeah, this uh the whole the whole outside is not the uh not the same place as the UK, but hey, you know what? Maybe it was maybe there's a place in Montreal or <laughs> wherever that looks like this. I don't know. Um there so once she leaves the coffee shop, there was something else that I noticed and it was uh did you notice the Daily Planet poster in the background? Is that it looked like a um I, I didn't know it was a Daily Planet poster. It looks like like a movie trailer poster. It, it looks like a theater. Yeah. There's a there's an absurd amount of Daily Planet stuff all over this place. Yeah, I do see that. Okay. Um, I see the symbol at the bottom. It's like these people really like the daily their newspaper, which is I guess the equivalent would be like I don't know if Orlando prides its Orlando Sentinel as much, you know. I know the Miami Herald is like a big thing in miami but not as much as uh these people love the daily planet unless she's just really close to where she used to work um but uh what was cool about now, the, oh go what for if, it what if they're just like what if the daily planet just owns those advertising plots and when no one actually has anything to advertise or they're not buying it the daily planet just puts their poster there because they own it i'm thinking of like clear channel billboards or something you may be right. I don't know. That's just something by default they own, and so they have that that marketing space. Maybe this space. is just semantics. Yeah, this is could be <laughs> marketing semantics, huh? It's really interesting that it's a basketball. Being that we've talked a lot about Steve Lombard, who used to cover sports for the Daily Planet, and then Clark Kent covered sports in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. It's very interesting to see again. We have a a Daily Planet marketing for their sports section. I don't know if their if their sports section is is that famous like that's a big that's like a big part of their um revenues that people read sports from the Daily Planet but they sure pride themselves on it. And uh I I really like the design that it's a basketball. And underneath it it says insane sports coverage. So really cool stuff. Um mm. shout out to Steve Lombard. I don't know what he's up to but uh he really liked uh he really liked sports. So I really got canned for harassment. <laughs> yeah. Got canceled for having an absurd tie collection. Hey. Uh, come on now. So another uh cool thing I noticed here, this is the part where we're gonna um 
have like this tracking shot with Lois Lane as she walks down the street and this Daily Planet truck like comes by. And I notice one of the shops is a uh, Leica camera store. It has like the Leica camera symbol on it as well. Mm-hmm. So that could be, you know, another nod from Zack Snyder about the Leica cameras and um, Leica cameras were used in the making of this film. So there's a lot of love for them uh, in this movie. And uh, I even tried to see if there are actual like uh, camera stores, like physical brick and mortar shops. Uh, there's one in Miami in Florida. And then there is an actual like a store in the financial district of New York. So hmm. I didn't know there were actual like a camera stores. Do and, any of them are there? Is there storefront uh, this this black? Um, yeah, they pretty much are. It's just a very kind of like matte black looking store on the front. Hmm. I don't know if it's the actual store though. They are appointment-only stores, which is very odd. Like a genius bar or something. Yeah. Yeah, it really does look like that. Wow, these things are... These things are waspy, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. It does look like You're it. You're saying they're in the financial district up, up in there, and then in Miami? Come on now. Yeah, I wonder if this, too, was shot... Um, well, maybe there's a Leica camera store in the UK, but the storefront does look like the one in in uh, in New York, in the financial district, hmm. in Soho. So yeah, this is uh this is pretty cool stuff here. I would love to go to one of these stores. They have uh wow, they have amazing stuff in here. I highly Just, recommend checking it out. They got stuff on the internet, you know. Yeah. Um. But here, this is the big one. This is the big. This is the big Easter egg in this minute. I would think. No, that's. I'm totally wrong. There's more. Um, but I mm-hmm. feel like this is a big one to talk about, just given the context of the Snyder cut, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is where that Daily Planet drops that newspaper, and at first I was like, oh, okay, that's something I should look into. Um, just because I saw it and I kind of read the headline, but it didn't make sense to me at first. But, you know, the headline, it says Security Bank of Manhattan seeks new architect, which is a mm. reference to the Fountainhead. This is a a story that Zack Snyder claims to love a lot. Um, politics aside, it's uh, this, the Fountainhead is about, you know, this architect, this guy named Howard. Howard Rourke, and uh, he goes to work for an uh, a architecture firm in New York, and they want him to basically build this building the way that they want it, and he kind of refuses because he's adamant about the way he wants to design things, like his vision, and he doesn't want it like subverted in any way. So he basically argues with the people who um, who he works for, and so they fire him and. The story goes on from there, but that's basically the beginning of defining that character. And um, it's it's very odd. It's a very odd situation because it's very coincidental to what happened with the making of Justice League. And uh, I I think politics aside, I think it's a great kind of Easter egg to put. And I've, given the context, 
I think it's cool. I won't ever really say that I, you know, agree with Randy. Randy is how do you pronounce that? Like Randyism? I guess maybe just Randian. Yeah, Randian. Um, but yeah, I won't say I agree with the politics of Ayn Rand or anything like that. But I think the story, as it's presented by itself, is is pretty interesting. I can agree kind of with the concepts of it. Uh, we've had this conversation before about the ebb and flows of, you know, DC and Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder being involved in this DC cinematic universe. Um, It is kind of like this tug of war where we're kind of like, we love these movies. You, I think I can speak for you, Nate. Like we do love these movies and we like the vision that Zack um, has fought for in the making of these movies. Um, so our thing has always been like, well, you know, you hired the guy. We want to see what he can do. So release the Snyder Cut and this and that. And let's see more of these type of movies because we enjoy this person's vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also agreeing to the people who said, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't have been hired in the first place if you didn't want to go to this route. So um, that's kind of like where I'm always at with those type of things. But yeah, I would love to hear your opinion, Nate. Um, well... Yeah, you shouldn't have hired the architect if you're going to hate the building. I mean, that's true. But he already made the building. You can't you can't go back and say no, 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 no. Do it again. Yeah. You go, no way. It was already approved. Like this was green lit. We we were a go. Yeah. We were going. We went. Yeah. And you can't backpedal and say, "Oops, sorry." Because then it really gets down to it. Like, how much money are you going to spend on tearing down the building and building up a new building? Or at least tearing half of the building down and leveling it out, you know? Yeah. I can see where it comes into the same, using the same analogy, uh, stopping with what you have and then just flattening out the top. I get that, you know? And that's apparently what you're doing, but you're not making money nor are you saving money in that aspect anyway. Mm, it's, and that's the biggest part, great, right? Yeah, it's the biggest part. I think it's a great uh, little jab. It's wonderful. I would very much like to see um, Fountainhead type, you know, stuff from Snyder, Randy and stuff. Uh, yeah, the politics of Randy and uh, what have you is controversial. Very, very controversial. Um, very uh, stubborn, if you would ask me. Um, but uh, sh- shit makes good, great for storytelling. I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, it makes a great hero's journey. Um, the other thing was that lately there was a an article with Chris Terrio who kind of spoke about the the troubles with not only this film but with Dawn of Justice as well. And this kind of that kind of falls into the same thing that uh, you were saying, Nate, where Chris Terrio is also someone who was brought in to make the movie better, make Dawn of Justice better. And then he signed on solely for Justice League. And that's another thing where you were talking about, like, they want to make the building better. It's like Chris Terrio was signed on to make the movie better. And then there was all of the chaos after Dawn of Justice had released. And, you know, everyone who criticized the film was calling it too dark, too gritty. Um, it doesn't understand the characters, things like that. And 
that's another one of those things where the studio blamed the designers, even though the studios were the ones asking for it. Uh, they were the ones who said, oh, we, you know, we want Batman versus Superman to go in this direction. And then you had Chris Terrio kind of come in and rewrite the story to give the villain who is Batman a a redemption and, and a why too as why, as why they're, um, what his motivation is. And so that was another thing recently where it was like, just this kind of thing where a committee basically asks for something and, and the designer or the architects that come in, they're like, we want to make it, but we want to make it better and right. And, and the vision that we have, and we're hoping that you can agree with that. And then the studio says, okay, yeah, we will agree to your vision. And then they say, why didn't you do what we asked for you to? And they say, well, you hired me to do my vision. I, this is it. This is the movie. This is the story that we're telling. This is a story that we want to create for, you know, for, for the rest of time, you know, that people will see the story and, and react to it in, in a, in the way that we want them to react. So it's really just incredibly coincidental stuff that, uh, the Fountainhead reflects so much in the making of this film and even the making of the entire DC Cinematic Universe, at least this whole first phase. Um, there's a lot of powerful stuff here. and I think it started all the way back with just the inception of this Man of Steel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, I think they... I'm sure they always wanted Christopher Nolan to make the movie and he really didn't want to touch Superman at all because I think uh, even Christopher Nolan has like some uh, allergy to, to being true to comic books. Like he always has to um, adapt it into the, into the real world. And Superman was just a little too fantastical for him. So he hired Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder who has a vision for things, but um, they had all the leashes on, on Zack Snyder on that first one. Um, and they still greenlit and gave him, you know, more slack for the next film. And I think they were really, this is what we were arguing about with Donna Justice, is that he he and Chris Terrio, they really were taking what started with Nolan and David S. Goyer and taking it from the dark and gritty adaptations of the DC superheroes. And they had a path to go to the the bright and hopeful superheroes and the ones that we aspire for with Dawn of Justice. Like it was coming out of that, that dark place. And it's just, it's unfortunate that Chris Terrio and Zack Snyder got a lot of that, that backlash for basically saying, yes, we can play with the dark stuff and, and make it really cool and have fun with it. But we are trying to like go to the Superman that you know and love. Like we are trying to get there. I think a lot of people would just, see them first and go, okay, they're the problems. They're the reason why we didn't start out with bright and sunny Boy Scout Superman from the get-go instead of being like, well, the studio didn't want it that way. So it it does kind of suck sometimes that the storytellers get pinned down like that. Um, but let's, uh, let's move on here. So once we're done with the, uh, you know, the Fountainhead reference here, this is the, this is what I was going to say. Oh, this might actually be the biggest Easter egg mm-hmm. in this movie, which is Mark McClure. Um, do you know who this man is? Um, from the look of our notes, this man was a James 
uh, redacted middle name Olson. Ah, hmm. Is that right? Yeah. I'm okay. Very unfamiliar. Was were you you were doing it for effect? Ah, oh, <laughs> yeah. E, oh, thank All you. All sarcasm. Thank you. You're the best audience <laughs> I could ever ask for. I mean, really, front row every time. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is a uh, Mark Kerr from the Superman movies. He played Jimmy Olsen. So we finally have a. A, uh, a different version of a Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen moment since mm-hmm. no one really liked the Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane moments in the last movie. I did. I thought it was fine. Um, this is uh, Mark McClure. He played Jimmy Olsen. And apparently Jeff Johns w- like told him, hey, we're going to cut this scene out. Still, you know, question marks aside, there's a lot of moments of like of that in you know, the 2017 version of Justice League. He said, Mark McClure, we're cutting you out, but I still want to have you in this movie as a cameo. So they reshot uh, a scene in the prison where Ezra's Flash goes to visit Billy Crudup's, uh, you know, uh, his father. And uh, he plays a prison guard there, I think, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. I think it's like the part where Flash, like, draws on that guy's face whatever so he's in there maybe he's the guy with the clipboard in there um which cool i somehow didn't remember that but i always knew that he was supposed to be this cop here at heroes park but he never showed up for whatever reason and Hmm. for i guess for some part of me i just never thought oh yeah they recasted him later on in the like for the reshoots and I never caught that, but yeah, I guess got to have Mark McClure in here. Got to have a Jimmy Olsen, uh, redemption or something. Yeah. Now here, now this is, this is where we're, go- we're going to take you back to Nathan, Nathan's reaching corner. Go for it. That's a terrible, that's, we can't call it that. Mark, reaching we corner. Nathan's, we can't call it the reaching corner. Who came up with this? Um, this is where I'm going to reach to find things, um, in the dark. Uh, on today's episode of Nathan's Reaching Corner, we gotta change that name. Issue number seventeen of uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen uh, is about Jimmy Olsen going with Superman into space in a rocket, and Superman's gotta punch a comet and kind of lets Jimmy Olsen go, so the rocket keeps on going, and he ends up going in future and time. Yada yada yada. The story has nothing to do here, but on Wikipedia. For issue number 17, it says notable characters in this book. One, Superman. Two, Jimmy Olsen. Three, police officer. hey the dude's playing both roles, baby. Wait, it says starring police officer? It's just like a notable notable character in the in the book. Oh, so it's not like uh it's not like pro police where it's like and starring the people you love the most. Your no, local no, police force. Supporting supporting characters, I should oh, okay. say. So just... Featuring characters, Jimmy Olsen, supporting characters, policeman and Superman. Okay. So somehow this police officer is very uh, prominent in this story. Very prominent in the story, which I was reading the synopsis, and I honestly have no idea why they mentioned a single police officer, yeah, because police there officer... are other people. <laughs> and they're going to space, right? Yeah, and there's totally other... There's he actually goes into space and then goes into the, like the 50th century so he goes into the future the police future officer cop. gets into a they rocket got ship the robot the they robot send him cops, to space they got, mm. and he ends up in the future yeah 
something about a bird saving him. People get confused with Jimmy Olsen. They start calling him Superman. Bing, bang, boom. This the is, kid gets a fancy watch. Everybody goes home happy. This is issue 17 of Jimmy Olsen. Like his yeah, something indo- like that. indie run. Yeah. Uh, 1956. I wonder, I mean... Hey, they they said Mark McClure, we're gonna bring you back, but you're you're still gonna be you're still gonna be a uh, a police officer in some form, some some form of security. We won't bring you back as yeah. a photographer, but you know you could be a police officer or you could be prison mm-hmm. guard. Take your pick. <laughs> you got to be one or the other. You got to be part of the system somehow. Got to get a fictional federal paycheck somehow. Now he's in the he's in the movie later where he's he's pulling mm-hmm. out his gun he's pulling out his gun on Superman yes. which is the best thing that you could possibly do um, was that not in the 2017 cut did that not make it no he's not in it at all I guess they just have him have everybody looking up to the sky the only thing that they show is a couple like police cars and that's it like the police cars they get damaged and there's like no other involvement there's there's no people standing around there's no uh the military i don't think shows up and uh like cyborg doesn't have to save mark mcclure's character from the tank that gets blown towards him and uh i don't know why they cut all that out i really don't it seems like another one of those those things where it's just kind of like well it happens it doesn't really add to the story it doesn't really affect the timeline you know there's no butterfly effect for cyborg saving a police officer even if it's Mm -hmm. cut for time if you see it you could still just be like oh yeah it's mark mcclure it doesn't have to say anything do we just know that's him that's uh and it kind of raises the stakes because you see you know a black superhero saving a cop it could be pretty powerful statement you got there but no let's uh let's cut that all out and we'll do the funny face drawing scene instead so i don't know i'm not a producer so i don't i don't i don't see the logic scene was hilarious i mean (laughs) what a side splitter what a side splitter yeah um and that kind of just brings us to the end of this minute which is uh lois arriving to heroes park and man the coloring on these roses you said they were beautiful roses earlier but Mm -hmm. uh it's something about the color correction on these things that make them look almost like paintings. Like there's such a music video like quality to this last bit here. Yeah. Seeing these roses. They, they look very good. That's very good photography. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, absolutely. It just the 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 darkness of the roses, like the deep red color. It's just very nice. And even the white roses kind of have like this very stiff, dark tones to it that make them look kind of dead, but still very pretty to look at. And um, it really does look like you're kind of looking at um, like an oil painting of these flowers. Um, and I feel like this is the a, a best time to talk about the music that's playing here in this minute. This is another uh, needle drop in the movie, and this is called... Distant Skies by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I've never heard of them. Have you heard of uh have you heard of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds before, Nate? No, sir, I have not. Neither have I. Um But uh this was probably one of the easiest ones to follow along with in the movie. I know we just 
the hardest one was probably uh, Visor, um, the Sinande Rosu, but uh, just because it was in another language. But this one, Distant Sky, this one starts out like kind of, it really is what it means, like the song as it, as it plays out in the, in the minute where it says things like they told us our gods would outlive us and they told us our dreams would outlive us, um, but they lied, basically. And it's just a very obvious uh, reference to the death of Superman and the death of Clark and all these things. And basically, Metropolis had lost, you know, the Superman. So um, it is a really good, it's a really good song. Um, what's your take on this whole, this whole bit here? The needle drop, I, um, I enjoyed when I first, the first couple times, um, and then it kind of got to me where it's just, uh, a little too heavy handed. Mm-hmm. But again, it, you know, I, I hate that we say it because it, 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 it's true and we, we bring it up very often where, what is the music supposed to add to the scene? Um, the music isn't adding anything to the scene other than just um, bolding, italicizing, and underlining the fact that this is sad and, and Superman's a god, but he's dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lois Lane is still left without him because he's dead and they're supposed to outlive us, yada, yada, yada. You get it. it it's it's kind of just like right there in front of your face. The imagery is fantastic in this minute um, and the scene with Lois and the whole rainy day, uh, all this jazz. Um, I like, I really like thinking about the time of day it is right now in this minute and, and when it's raining, because that is my favorite time of day when it is raining. Uh, the sun had just come up. She was laying in bed and it was still dark. When she walked into the coffee shop, they were setting the sign out. Night lights or street lights were still on. It was still like dark. So it's it's crack of dawn, mm-hmm. and man, a good thunderstorm at the crack of dawn is something else, baby. Yeah, it really That's is. That's a good feeling. Morning, morning rain, or, or like a little light storm in the morning, and like coffee. Like I thought about it too. Like the idea of having to walk in this rain, like just how heavy it is. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. but if she's vibing, and she's got this coffee, <laughs> you know, like. It's the best way to explain it, but she's, she, this is what makes her happy because, you know, the, she's lost so much. So she walks over to Heroes Park. She brings coffee. She gives one to uh, not Jimmy Olsen. And then, you know, she has a moment with Clark, the closest that she can get without driving all the way to Smallville. Like, this is, this is them mourning in their own way. And like, enjoying that moment because that's all they have it's the only thing that brings them peace um and sometimes walking in the rain with an umbrella might be that calming for them um it gives them it gives them some some sombrance and yeah i really enjoy that i think it's 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 interesting that it's a needle drop you know i i don't know if they would go would have gone with so many needle drops in the movie if it had been scored by, let's say, Hans Zimmer or anyone else. But I think because maybe Junkie XL is more of a full contact kind of composer, like he's working with instruments that he plays to begin with, that they might have just went, 
hey, let's just do a needle drop here since that would kind of fit the vibe anyways. And, you know, with Lois Lane, and I'm trying to think of the other ones with um, Ezra Miller, when Flash saves Iris West, and uh, uh, there is a there is a king or there is a yeah, kingdom aquaman's aquaman's kingdom yeah. song that's my favorite now like i understand that that needle drop is un- again very heavy handed yeah but boy oh boy does that song add weight to that imagery yeah into that scene it adds weight to it um we'll get there when we get there but uh this is i i can see that this is adding weight to it, I'm just still picking it up with one hand, you know? I think I think it really helps that we have like these type of music video moments in the movie because it is a four-hour film. There is kind of a lot to catch up everyone else who's who's not into the, the movies as much. You know, people who are coming in and they don't know who Aquaman is, they don't know who uh, Ray Fisher, Cyborg is, anything like that. You have these music videos that slow things down and with the with the song that's playing and the lyrics, you really just get to live in their shoes for a moment instead of being like, Oh, this is Lois Lane. Why aren't you working anymore? Oh, well death super, you know, Death of Clark had put me off. I I no longer work there. It's hard for me to move on. Instead of really having those moments to educate the the person who's enjoying the story. We can just live in the moment for, you know, a solid minute. This is only one minute out of 240 minutes. So, you know, take it for what it is because it really does help. Even if it's heavy handed, we got other places to be. Um, and it just feels like em- em- emphatically like the best thing that you could do for the moment. I agree. Wholeheartedly, I agree. Um, and that's pretty much going to be it for today. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. But if you guys enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media at DCEU and the Facebook group, the DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society. You can join us and talk about today's minute or any minute that you guys are catching up on. And we'll catch you guys tomorrow for minute number 18 of Zack Snyder's Justice League.